Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We're coming to you from the Wood Morrison House on the campus of the Hagen History Center. And with me here is Pam Parker, project manager. Hi, Pam. How you doing? Hi. Great. It's always wonderful to have you here. And thank you so much for coming down and sharing your afternoon with us. And Becky, great to see you again. Good to see you too, Joel. All righty. So we're going to get things started here. And I want to talk about what's new in Erie history. And again, this epic second floor of the new exhibit hall. So you guys take it away. I'm just going to let you let you riff. Well, Becky, <laughs> Becky is our curator, and Becky knows this. Uh, she, she could go through there blindfolded and probably tell you everything that's there. But this is the biggest undertaking that we've done in a very long time. It is 3,000 square feet. And you two just went through it, so you know it's. I keep saying that you can't just do it once. Every time you go through, you will see something new. You will see pictures of people that you know. And Becky has been involved in this. Actually, it's been years that it this was years in the making. It has. Well, how do you decide, like, when you're trying to decide, even thematically, what you want to do? How do you make that decision? Well, what we did before we started the first floor of the new exhibit building with the Frank Lloyd Wright San Francisco field office is the professional designers came to Erie from Virginia and took a survey of a lot of the citizens. We had focus groups that met here on our campus and other locations. We gave them all a postcard and said, what do you want to see? Mm. And we came up with a lot of different ideas, but immigration and business and manufacturing came up to the top of the list and so that's where we started wow immigration and the manufacturing mm -hmm. and um and again erie's that ultimate melting pot so that's really uh what you see at the top of the stairs in this second floor is uh you know the first humans that you know the mm -hmm. indigenous people right exactly yes the first group are the indigenous people that lived in this area and there have been several mounds that have been excavated over the years, especially during the Great Depression. They did several digs in our community, okay. and we have some objects from them. We don't showcase that in this particular exhibit, but we will in the future, of course. But we do talk about those groups of people. And then the earliest settlers that came to the Erie area from mainly the New England states mm -hmm. they were all moving out west and erie was the west at the time yeah anything on this side of the alleghenies was the great frontier wasn't it absolutely Becky? yes wow. so Incredible. the community started small but strong mm -hmm. and then over time as different manufacturing took hold then more people moved and especially with all the immigrants coming from europe towards the end of the 1800s early 1900s so now we have all kinds of people, different languages, different groups, different communities, like small communities like the Little Italy uh, growing in our area. Mm -hmm. And now we have new people that we're welcoming to our community. So we're always growing. And we try to uh, 
make homage to each one of those groups. Yeah, the story of us, you know, mm-hmm. where, where, where folks came from, how they got there. Um, and it's interesting, Pam, I, I love part of the of that uh, exhibit where it talks about the great migration. So migration within, you know, much like the New Englanders came mm-hmm. in the early 1800s, in the 1900s you had a migration from the south. Mm-hmm. Mississippi, a lot right. of Mississippi, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, again, yeah. I mean, th- <laughs> just a little personal note. This is, this is what makes sense to me about my family is that they came from eastern Pennsylvania coal country. Mm-hmm. Erie was the promised land because they had the good jobs, the GE, Hammer Mill, uh, you know, Posiris Erie, these foundries, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that seems to be the narrative, right? And it was reality. Oh, absolutely. And, Joel, you mentioned your family. The same with mine. I had a, a portion of the family move from Croatia to Wisconsin. They were being sought out to help populate the state to become farmers. Well, it's great to be a farmer, but they wanted an easier job, so they moved to Erie and got factory jobs and developed the family from there. So Erie has been a great incubator for so many, not only businesses and manufacturers, but so many families and so many people that have been here for generations. And we are thrilled to welcome them all back to our campus and show them this great exhibit. That really is kind of the draw. When you think about how you market the center, Pam, the idea of, hey, when you're coming in for a family reunion or you're coming in uh, for a wedding, make make sure you take a couple hours to visit the Hagen History Center. Well, we have a lot of people. It's nice when you walk through up there and you see some of our visitors and guests and people comment on them. In fact, there was a gentleman today who was up there and he was looking at the map that you were looking at and you were tracing the, where the Italians settled. Yeah. And he said that, um, he said, you know, my father told me a lot of these things, but I didn't realize. And he said, now it all makes sense where we lived, where we settled, where my family was. And as he looked at that map, and I thought, so it, it, it's very personal. I think mm-hmm. when you go through there, and like I said, you're going to look at people, and you're going to look at all the photos, and, and there's so many photos. But you're going to look at everything and say, I swear I know that person, or <laughs> that person looks just like me. Yeah. So I think there's, it's just, it really is a, a personal experience where, um, you, and the houses, when you look at the houses, um, and I think Sarah Little had said at one point, she said, you see these neighborhood houses, and she I live there. So I think, and those houses that we were looking at earlier, and some of the row houses, and it's like, you know somebody who lived there, you might have lived there. Uh, it brings back so many memories. And a lot of these places are gone, so it, right. it just kind of feeds your brain with, ah, this is, you know, sure. this is me, this is my history. Well, and, and two, we're hearkening back to a time where the automobile wasn't central in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And so uh, I think about Little Italy, which was a pretty big uh, geographic block there uh, on the west side and it was a community within a community. They had their own banks and theaters and uh, grocery store. I mean they, they they could be self-contained and I remember as a kid if I needed to go get bread or you know a, a jar of, uh, of whatever mm-hmm. I went down to Larry's Central Market just a, a you know two blocks away as a as a 10 year old or something like that. You know, Nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really good. Yes. <laughs> Thank God for Larry's. Uh, you know? yes. <laughs> Still. Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. Hey, so 
And what has been so, you know, what has been some of the impact of that part of it, of the, uh, yeah, I think Pam alluded to it, you know, I knew these stories, but I didn't really understand. I even had that same experience as just now. It's like, I did not get the whole story of why the Eries were wiped out, uh -huh. for example. Uh -huh. I mean, it's really some good, um, some good uh, scholarly uh, things there, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the exhibits, you know. Yes. And what we're featuring in each one of those stories is what every school child in Erie County should learn. Mm. I mean, this is all stuff that we should be very proud of, that we're aware of. And that's one of our missions here at the Hagen History Center is to make the community go, wow, there's so much history here, so many good things in the past, so many good things going on now. What kind of future can we have? It's going to be right. fabulous. It's going to be just great. You think that, that that's one of the side benefits is, is it's an optimism maker? Absolutely, yes. For the future? Yes. Very cool. Wood Morrison House. Morris, Wood Morrison House. Yes, uh, we're, what, Dr. Morrison, right? And it's Dr. Wood. Dr. Wood and yeah. Captain Morrison. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, great yeah. family histories. We'll, we can do that another time. But <laughs> right. I, I am just a big fan of Annie Morrison. She lived in this house, and she didn't live here for 70 years once she grew up and went away and was married to a guy who was into aeronautics, and she flew, like, in the Snoopy planes. And oh, my. They're, bur they're buried. All of them are buried in... Um, Erie Cemetery, the okay. whole family. Wow. Now, she wow. has kids. They're still yeah, alive. Right, right. Wow. But she came back here to be buried. It's just... It's, it's something. And again, it's... down that banister. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, you think about, you know, the perfect position of this home, of this house, with, you know, the Watson Curtsy Mansion. And, and uh, you know, and, and that's a good segue, talking about uh, Mr. Watson, Mr. Curtsy, in talking about our work. And uh, I'm trying to remember, was it Watson that had his hands in like a bazillion different things or was yeah, it Curtsy? That was Curtsy. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Talk about that a little bit and, and, and right. what you tried to do with that whole uh, area of what we do for work okay. uh, in the second floor. Yeah, the Wood Morrison house, I'm sorry, the Watson Curtsy Mansion talks more about those two families right. and the businesses they were involved in. On the second floor of the new exhibit building on our campus, we get into a few, I want to say a few, but several mm -hmm. of the businesses that were located in here in Erie because Erie had so many different industries and businesses. You can't talk about them all. We would love to talk about them all. And so we pulled out some. Uh, well, which, I, let's go through yeah. this a little bit. You yes. start with the land, which mm -hmm. is, again, kind of, I mean, being next to the lake and mm -hmm. And being next to these incredible woods of the Alleghenies, yes. I mean, yeah. we were strategically positioned for some kind of extraction uh, industries. Right? Absolutely. Um, the fishing industry was probably a, one of the ones I wanted to talk about first yes. because it was so big. During the 1920s, Erie was the freshwater fishing capital of the world. Amazing. And it's amazing. Erie, yeah. a small sort of yeah. city, but they pulled so much fish out of the lake and went on and on for years until things just got fished out and pollution hit. But things have been on the upswing ever since. We're thrilled. So we do have quite a bit of information about that industry. We also talk about agriculture because when the settlers came and they started clearing all these woods and there was, it was all virgin forest throughout here, they were farmers. 
And we still have a lot of farms in Erie County, sure. not just the grapes that we talk about and the fruit, you know, those sort of come to mind, but there are still dairy farms and beef and all kinds. So we brought out some old potatoes. Implements. You can't, can't forget oh the potatoes. Oh my gosh, can't forget the potatoes. <laughs> we, we love that one industry. Um, but we brought out some of the old agricultural tools that were used back yes. in the day. And and they're not used anymore, thank goodness, because they were all very labor-intensive. Mm. But that's a big part of the exhibit. But what I really, really love is the manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And when we get into some of these industries that have just wonderful stories. Uh, and I'm not sure that everybody knows all the different things. Holy cow. It just it goes on and on. You know, the steam <laughs> shovels that dug the Panama oh, Canal, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's from Erie. <laughs> yes. um, we also had the boiler that Edwin Drake used to drill the first commercial oil well in the world was made at the Erie City Ironworks wow. here in Erie as well. And the stationary engine was made elsewhere. But Erie was also the boiler and small engine capital of the world in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. We just had so many things going on here. And then with this growing population to feed all those industries. We just kept growing. It looked like there was going to be no end. Wow. It, one of the things I love about our our DNA when it comes to manufacturing in Erie is, okay, let Pittsburgh, let Youngstown make the bulk raw materials, you know, turn ore into steel. But we took that steel and made things out of it. Mm -hmm. And again, you think about Every, every time you go to a public restroom and you see that CERN implant in the floor uh -huh, uh -huh. drain or those, or those uh, other uh, plumbing implements, oh, yeah, that's, that's from my hometown, or at least it used to be. Right. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a sense of pride. Uh, I remember traveling in the, in the 80s, and every hotel had a cold draft ice maker on on your floor. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the things that we made because it was almost like we had, we, I, this sounds terrible, we had the smarter people <laughs> to come up with the engineering of these implements, the Griswold. The Griswold. Griswold. Oh, my gosh. My, okay, I'll admit it. My favorite. <laughs> that name, uh, Lincoln. Don't get her started on Lincoln. Yes. Yeah. But we have on exhibit a Selden hinge. And you might walk, walk by this and go, it's just a door hinge, big deal. But on it, if you look carefully, is the word Selden, 1866. Selden was the precursor to the Griswold Manufacturing Company. Wow. So before they did the cookware, they made these hinges. And there are only three known in existence. Three. We have one. Wow. And it was donated a few years ago. I can't even put a price on this thing mm. because... It's just unheard of to have one. So when the Griswold collectors come through, and there are many throughout the United States and Canada, they want to see this hinge. You're thinking, that's crazy. <laughs> but we also have a waffle iron in that particular exhibit. We have a whole room in our uh, Watson Curtsy Mansion on Griswold that will be changing soon. Okay. So all of you folks that are interested in more Griswold, we're going to be flipping it out in the next month or two with enamelware and then aluminumware. Plus, there's an antique dealer in town who offered me, on loan, 
three skillets never used with labels on them. Oh, my. Oh, yes. They're going to be our centerpiece for this brand new exhibit. I'm very excited about it. Um, But we have to move a lot of iron, so that's why I keep going to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to move a lot of iron. Uh, Waffle iron. (laughs) Huge, huh? I love uh, I love the part too where you kind of say you pay homage to the two big guys that really changed uh, really the the wealth of Erie the the GE Works and Hammer Mill General Electric and uh, and you have the the newspaper where it's like the best day ever in Erie's history mm-hmm. is when General Electric decided to choose Erie yes. Such big news. The first locomotive rolled off the floor in 1912 Wow! in Erie. So this was all started by Thomas Edison mm-hmm. um, back in the 1870s after he perfected the light bulb. And Edison was so full of great ideas. I think his genius was after he perfected the light bulb, then he started creating generating stations, of which, which Erie had one, an early one to produce the electricity for his light bulb. And out of that came all kinds of other inventions and creations. And they were busting out of their seams out at Schenectady, right? Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. to choose Erie, which I guess the the story goes that they wanted a Midwestern location Mm -hmm. and Erie was smack in the middle of Buffalo, Cleveland. Location is everything. And and then we had the rail lines already coming through here. We had... Uh, the freight from the lake. And sometimes so, it, yeah. it counts of who you know, like Matthew Griswold mm-hmm. talking to his buddy who was the site selector. Absolutely. We, we, never, we never remember this, that guy's name, but we all re- we remember Matthew Griswold's name. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you think about it, we, if we don't get GE, what happens? Good question. I mean, is yeah. it just right. slow, small town chugging away i mean mm-hmm. obviously the barons were really helping us too i mean mm-hmm. now talk about strategic location for them oh. though the water the the trees absolutely wow yeah and it was best in the world it it wasn't just any paper mm-hmm. becky it was best absolutely i think all of our hearts broke when they moved out of erie everyone even mm-hmm. though Okay, at one point they had dumped pollution into, but everyone was. Mm. Heck, the city of Erie didn't even have a sewer system until the 1930s, which is really hard to think about. Um, So the thing that they cleaned things up, they employed so many generations of people, and they were the best of the best. So, yeah, we've had a long history, and yet. We also talk about the future of the industry in Erie. Mm-hmm. The plastics industry is huge here in town. Sure. And we do feature some of their plastic products that are made in Erie in that new exhibit. And the companies, Accudine, for example. Sure. Um, just Yeah, I mean, business. again, they're part and parcel in the modern automotive industry. Just opening recently, the the huge second floor of the brand new exhibit center. So, guys, where does this put us as far as like the the new stuff that's coming online? Are we completed with this phase now, Pam? Or oh, we're never complete. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And 
I was just going to say, if people are sitting in traffic, they can just pop on down here. We're open till five. <laughs> there Come you go. Come on down, then head on downtown, have something to eat and drink. But uh, getting, getting back yes. to uh-huh. Becky is our curator, and yeah, we're uh, she has the best ideas. But we um, we're always we're, changing. We're never things. done. We are never ever done, and that's the fun part of my job is always creating new things, talking with students, adults. I mean, just being. I love Erie. I love. I grew up in the county. I live here in the city now, and I love Erie history, Erie objects, everything to do with it. And it's just such a an honor to be a part of this organization. It, it, and it's it's remarkable what this asset has become. Again, many of us grew up with going to the Watson Curtsy Mansion, but now it is truly a destination, a huge uh, cultural and significant asset for our community, and like we were saying, whether you have a connection to Erie or you're visiting because you're going to Tall Ships or you're visiting because you have to come to a destination wedding, this is something that you want to have on your bucket list when you come to Erie. I mean, pretty remarkable stuff. Um, All right, I want to go back upstairs uh, to the second floor of the new exhibit building, and I want to talk about some of the other elements. I mean, we mentioned the big kahunas, GE and Hammer Mill, but there are a lot of other shops, and you wouldn't even say that they're, I mean, they're smaller, yet they had significant impact on our history. Talk about that. Well, absolutely. I mean, And we run the gamut when we talk about businesses and manufacturing in Erie because the earliest two things that we have on exhibit is both that Selden Hinge from 1866 and a piece of pottery from 1866. And the crazy thing about it, that pottery was produced along the Erie Extension Canal, Hmm. which is no longer, hasn't been here for a long, long time. But it's a very rare example of Northwest Pennsylvania pottery. And I have a little story to tell how we acquired this. We have a gentleman who's a friend of the Hagen History Center, and he keeps an eye out on eBay and various auction sites looking for Erie things that he feels should belong in a museum. And he contacted me with a picture of this piece of pottery. It's a bank, like a coin bank. Hmm. And he said, gee, Beck, you should look into maybe placing a bid on this. And I'd love to, but I don't have a budget. So I'm going to have to let it slide. And it went for, I don't remember how many thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. Yeah. So several months later, I, out of the blue, I'm at my desk, minding my own business, doing my own job. And a gentleman calls me up. He says, my daughter is a professor at Gannon. And she just moved to Erie to take this job. We're from New York State. And I bought her a piece of pottery, and she doesn't want it. And it has to do with Erie. I said, hmm, tell me about it. And the more he told me, the more I realized it was that very piece of pottery that was on the auction. He says, I'm only going to be in town, you know, this afternoon. I says, come down right now, please. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. And he did. And it was that piece. And we have it on exhibit. And it's such a rare thing because it was from an uncle given to his niece, and their names are inscribed on it, and it was never used. Or if it was, they took the coins out without breaking the pottery because there was no stopper or anything on it. So I had to showcase that piece. I just had to bring it out of storage. It was just too great of a, a thing. But then we talk about other smaller companies, but they weren't small. Continental Rubber Works, we feature them. And they were located in a factory. The, the building is still 
uh, Liberty. Right. It was the Tribune Bicycle Factory to start with. Tribune Bicycles were sold all over the United States. Continental Rubber Works started to make the tires for the bicycles. And then they took off from there, from, making a From the bicycle craze era? Are you yes. Are talking about like 1890s? Absolutely. Like oh, my gosh. And it was Vitalik was the name of the tire, and that was the name in t- bicycle tires for many, wow. many years. So we wow. do have a bicycle on exhibit on the first floor, and upstairs we have a few things from Continental Rubber Works. And, of course, they, they were busy during the wars. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking that they made tires for the for the Jeeps, right? Well, during World War One, because that's one of my things in <laughs> right. my research, they did tires, they did tubing, gas masks during World War One, oh um, all kinds of rubber insulators and ceiling rings and just a variety mm-hmm. of things. A lot of companies did retool both during World War One and World War Two. GE retooled for howitzer production. Right in particular, and then another company. So they were making back. artillery. They were. Well, they GE was. Yes. Okay. Wow. And then a company in town that I know for a fact during the Civil War, Civil War, were making cannonballs, <laughs> and that was the Erie City Ironworks. That was one of their first products. Oh, my gosh. So, Yeah. I tell you what, those defense contracts, they still, uh, they are still, <laughs> they they still go pretty well for big us. Big then, big I'm now. Thinking, I'm yeah. thinking about... Uh, Think about Lords. I mean, mm-hmm. a big chunk of percentage is, is defense with, with Lord Company, um, Lord Corporation, or Parker Lord, I should say. Now, I got to get it right. Um, no relation. No relation. <laughs> right. The, so, is there a favorite from both of you? Is there a favorite part of the new part that you guys oh, really Becky enjoy? Has a favorite. Oh, I do. And that's the manufacturing. Yes. Because I'm all about. Erie Manufacturing, supporting the manufacturers here in town. And Erie still has the higher than national average mm-hmm. amount of manufacturing jobs. We forget that. Yeah. So, and they pay better in general than service jobs. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, the benefits are there. Talk about the unions. I, I, that was kind of a, a pleasant surprise for me to say, hey, we're going to talk about the union movement in Erie and, and the history there. Right. And we could have extended that. We have truly, when it came to this exhibit, even though it's 3,000 square feet, it's very limited space for all the stories we wanted to tell. And the union stories, I mean, there's so many, the good, bad, and the ugly, um, depending on where you stand on that, that we could not incorporate everything that we wanted because we have all kinds of union buttons, bumper stickers, you know, things supporting the workers here in Erie that we wanted to showcase, just didn't have the room. What's the ratio of things that are on display versus what's in the archive? (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't ask that. Um, Less than 1% is on exhibit. So 1 to 100. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Yes. I have a storage building. We're very fortunate to have a beautiful storage building behind the carriage house Mm -hmm. of 10,000 square feet for two-dimensional, which would be your books, photographs, documents, maps, and three-dimensional, which is everything else, chock full. In the three-dimensional catalog, we have about 13,000 things that we store. And we can't tell all those stories by exhibit, so we're doing it in other ways. 
I write a weekly blog on various aspects. I think I just wrote number 96 today. Good for you. And my assistant, Amanda Rockwood, who is a very talented young woman, we have a weekly video series called Hidden Treasures. And it's on our Facebook page, HaganHistoryCenter.org. Is that it? Or EerieHistory.org. EerieHistory.org is our uh, website where we have a hidden treasure. For three minutes, we just pull something out of storage, and we talk about it. Mm. And that's another good way of showing off. That's fabulous. Those go gangbusters on social media. Um, The uh, the foot warmers was one of the things that I thought was What are the foot warmers? They're all kind (laughs) Oh, you, you have to watch it. It's you got to watch it. Okay. And, they're, and they're very decorative. I mean, yeah. some of them were like, holy were. cow. It's, it's interesting. There were some, there's some industries that we didn't really get into. Like, I mean, again, we were doing heavy metal. We, mm-hmm. we did the steam shovels. We did the locomotives. We're, there's not much of a, like a fabrics, you know, I mean, we no. didn't get into fabric. We didn't no. get into some of these different things that, that, you know, uh, North Carolina is known for their furniture. Right. Now, we have furniture, mm-hmm. but we have that hardwood, what, uh-huh. Ethan Allen and all that right. stuff, right? I mean, right. Actually, Erie did have silk production back in the 1800s. Okay. And there were mulberry trees growing in what is now the city of Erie, where it's silk worms. Uh, they got it going, but it didn't quite take off. Yeah. We didn't really have the climate, but they tried. And our, one of these days, you're going to have the Carter's Little Pills exhibit. Oh, <laughs> exactly. That's a whole nother, all these crazy the drawings. The quackery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, again, there's so many different ways you can go after this. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about where what is the mainstay of our economy now, which is meds and eds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the stories of the universities, the stories of, of Hammond and St. Vincent and you know, what was it? Uh, you what, mentioned AMSCO. What's that? You mentioned AMSCO. Oh, AMSCO, yeah. I mean, again, uh, a huge supplier, American Sterilizer. And, 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 you know, some of the hospitals that have been forgotten, right? Uh, Barber Center was a uh, an old city hospital, right? Uh, but Barber sure. National Institute, I think it was, that's a former Lakeview Hospital. No, it might have been, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean... I mean, and, and there was there was like Rose Memorial up by uh, what t- West Twenty First Street or so. Right. You know, t- these tiny and little that things. Metro Hospital. Oh, and then of course right. Metro yeah. and and doctors osteopath, right? Sure. I, so I mean, you think about. I mean, there's just so many stories. Mm-hmm. You only could do so much, and right. so that's where these other channels and maybe mm-hmm. you know. Uh, temporary exhibits or what, what do you call those kind of we have pop-up exhibits. pop-up exhibits yes. yeah i've got a new one coming up very very soon um honoring lafayette's visit to erie in 1825 oh, nice i love that yeah <laughs> and we don't have- i only know the image of him eating on a bridge correct yes he did and he was only in erie for, I don't know, maybe six hours, but he made the most of his time. This man was amazing. He was a rock star of his day, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot, but we do have some things. Nice. So we're going to put those on exhibit soon. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw one of the labels that Pauline in our archive department is working on now, super fun. So that'll be happening in the near future because, again, Erie was that important of a community that Lafayette came here. Yeah. What, what about the um, the one that wrote uh, Demo- uh, Tocqueville? The Tocqueville, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, I I've tried to read that 
I'm not great at reading Tocqueville. <laughs> uh-huh. Um and because I've, I've been like, I'm wanting to skip ahead to when he talks about Erie. I know he came through Erie, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure he actually mentions Erie specifically. In It's a two-volume set, too. It's, it like, it's a lot. Right. I had to read some of that undergraduate it's like school. I can't, yeah. You know, my, my <laughs> wife can't read Jane Austen either. So it's, you know, it's one of those things, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to know, like, you know, what was, what was he all about and what yeah. was he learning from. There's so many things. Mm-hmm. So little time. That's the problem. And, you know, of course, William Taft getting stuck in uh, the strong mansion tub. Urban legend. Urban legend, yes. You're right. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. And there are other stories like that, too, but we we don't go down that path right now. (laughs) So, well, congratulations. I'm sure it had to be an incredibly uh, intense uh, amount of labor and focus in order to say, this is what goes, this is what doesn't go. And then we think about like the design part, which I know you had consultants working mm-hmm. on, but uh, you know, let's use that picture in that collage. I mean, good night. Mm-hmm. Had to take a long time. It, it, it did take a long time, but it was such a pleasure working with the professionals in the business. Mm-hmm. The other exhibits are in-house produced. I'm not saying that they're any worse. It's just that the budget is a lot, lot different. So if you want to see a real first-class exhibit, the second floor is it. I mean, and it's right here in our own hometown. Yeah, and, and, and again, to say this is, this is who we are and this is what we did and this is what made Erie come to where we are right now. And like you say, Becky, it's, it's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there were, I mean, we, we were not flawless in, in our civic decision making over the course of our 200 years. Correct. Yeah. And I am reading that book right now on the 1913 John Nolan um, consultant that the city hired mm-hmm. to improve the city back in 1913. And in my blog series now, I'm taking it as to what did he recommend? Did we do it? Uh, or didn't we? And we tend to do that with these consultants. Sometimes we pick and choose for various reasons, and it's not always the best. Well, even Charles but, Buki didn't get a 100% happy reception, you know, right. from from our civic civic fathers. Right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in in your research now to see what you un- uncover up because that's. If there's a question about where we are as a community now, mm-hmm. it, it, it for those that don't have that need a little help on their optimism of where we're going, mm-hmm. they they do want to try to understand how did this happen? How we mm-hmm. had a half a century of decline when it comes to population, when it comes to uh, some would say quality of life uh, has decreased, and when when you consider where we were. Not only when Nolan came around, but also what is it, Rodeval in nineteen sixty-three or something like that? Right. When they did that uh, oh, that second study, town. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and we were we were a go-go town in nineteen sixty, and we're a not 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 right now. And so, what can we learn from our history? Right. And how can we improve it? Right. But we really are. I just see so many great things happening mm-hmm. in Erie right now that it's so exciting to be a part of the community. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Becky, um, l- let's let's not forget about some of the updates and some of the things that have been done in other parts 
of the campus because people need to realize there there is the the Watsakurtsi Mansion, which is basically you're really trying to show life. What is it now? 110, 120 years ago? Right, it was built in 1892. Oh my! So longer yeah. than that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that that's a whole different approach than when we were as kids, when the school district ran the, the museum and they just kind of shoved a lot of different things all over the place of the house. Mm-hmm. This is this is how, I guess, the Victorians... Gilded Age. Gilded Age people. Late yeah. Victorian yeah. period. Yes, the house does showcase a lot of that where we have the servants' quarters. So mm. uh-huh. we're telling another part of the story that they would never have told not too many years ago. Wow. Um, and then the house, of course, itself is our premier object on this campus. It's beautiful. Right. And we have sort of a hybrid going of looking at a historic home and how it would have been furnished and other exhibits as well. And then you get to learn the families, you know, the Watsons and the Yes, Kurtz and we are expanding school. that. Oh, are you? We are, because we talk a lot about the Watsons who built the house and the company that Mr. Watson was involved in. And, and Carrie Watson, you know, Carrie the, Watson, the, the, Watson, what is it, the Garden Club is named after her, right? Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But now we're going to also feature more about the Curtsy family. Mm-hmm. And that exhibit should be opening in September. And Pam's going to help me with that. Thank you, Pam. Nice. And we are getting curtsy furniture. As a matter of fact, we're getting our last piece tomorrow for that exhibit. Cool. So this was furniture that was, most of it was used in the house. And the curtsy family is allowing us to use it. So we're really excited about that. Is it it like... Is it Art Deco-y modern, like 30s modern? It is not. Strangely enough, it is not as over-the-top furniture as you would think in the house, and yet very beautiful. Yeah. So the dressing table is coming tomorrow from uh, Fritz and Michael E. Curtsy, Mm -hmm. and we've got a bed and a dresser and then another Curtsy family. There's a lot of Curtsy descendants out there. Gave us a beautiful upholstered chair and a desk, because um, he was an attorney, and so it was the desk that he worked at. Right. So this is going to be more the story of it, the curtsies, mainly Frederick Felix and yeah. his family that lived in here in the house. Amazing. And then, mm-hmm. of course, we're in Wood Morrison House. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, this is where the military and mm-hmm. some of the transportation, and this is where the story of Oliver Hazard Perry lives, right? No, that's over there. Yeah, is that over there, Perry? Yeah, all okay. Of it has Wait, its own okay. little gallery. Well, there's where? a little bit of it here. Where am I? Co- I'm confused. Then you're thinking of right outside the Frank Lloyd Wright office. Okay. The big display, the interactive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Yes. All right. The sword. The yeah. sword. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Trying to get my bearings. There's a lot here. There's hey, a lot. Yeah. You get lost. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Cool. So yeah, but we have the military here yes. in. Of course, the uh, the canal and, and right. And we're always stuff. trying to change up the military too. Uh, now we're featuring Dr. Tony Snow from our nice. community, his Air Force history, and then Bobby Hovis, who is alive and well at 97, who was involved in Korea and Vietnam. So yeah. beautiful. We are live from the Hagen History Center. We're uh, we are excited about the opening of their brand new 3,000 square foot second floor of their new exhibit building. Again, if you have not been to the museum, uh, maybe even since a kid, it 
it, it, it doesn't even resemble what we used to have as a kid. It is a, a true eerie asset. And to continue the story here, we have Jeff Sherry. He's the education director. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. All right, so uh, you got more exhibit space, more to more to educate. More to educate. We have an awful lot of of stuff and stories of people and not so much stories of stuff but stories of people that's yeah. what i think is interesting um you know, these are these are newer stories like again i referenced what we learned as kids and we learned a little bit about french and indian war learned about the eries indians in some of those exhibits from the mm -hmm. 50s and 60s and 70s but this goes deeper this is a better understanding you know, 50 years later, of what really happened right. uh, with indigenous people and with the settlers. What we hope to do, and what we'd hoped from the beginning, and I think the exhibit does this, is we start with those indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Even though there were very few left, the, the uh, Erie's Indians, the Seneca, had been sort of swallowed up by the Iroquois of New York. So there weren't that many in this area when the European settlers or the settlers from the eastern part of the United States arrived. Mm -hmm. But we start with them. And of course, you go through the traditional immigrant groups, through the Germans, the Irish, the Italian, and the Russians. And then we're, we hope to, and we've done this, I think, in this exhibit as we talk, too, about the more recent immigrant groups which have come to Erie and which have helped to shape Erie, sure. from South Asia, from Latin America, and the great migration from, of, from the south. Um, we talk more, you know, everybody, it's very inclusive. It isn't just the same mm -hmm. old, same old, you know, the Irish, the Italians, and the Germans came here. It was everybody. Well, and, and again, to a lot of people that maybe uh, are, are transplanted in, they don't remember any of these old neighborhoods. And so you have that interactive map where, okay, mm -hmm. this is Little Italy. This is where the Germans settled. This is where the Polish settled and, and the African-Americans in New Jerusalem and so on. I mean, it, it really is uh, fascinating. That was one of the neatest exhibits that was in the, the mansion originally that was taken out. The story of the immigrant neighborhoods, the ethnic neighborhoods, and that map are, are Fantastic, like you said. Somebody can mm -hmm. look at that, you know, punch the Irish neighborhood and say, well, St. Patrick's Church, of sure, course, yeah. right down there. And, of course, the churches are the center of those ethnic neighborhoods. And But, yes, they're they're kind of fading away today. I mean, we yeah. still have ethnic festivals, but uh, none of these neighborhoods are exclusively, you know, for the Italians, for the Irish. For the well, Irish. I've always been fascinated, too, about how these little immigrant communities could afford to build these massive edifices for their exactly. churches, right? Exactly. I mean, they really were pitching in their quarters mm -hmm. and their dimes. Yeah, you they know? certainly were, and <laughs> there's no doubt about that, and I, I agree with you. I remember the first time I went in St. Patrick's Church, I just was, I, I thought I was in Venice or something. I was yeah, just oh in God, awe right? of, yeah. of how beautiful it is in there and, and the, the statues and everything. It's just, wow, this is, this is an eerie. <laughs> do you, I, I don't want to, I'm going to challenge you a second. Do you feel that, like, when you look at all of our assets, again, you're a historian, you look at these assets that we have, that we inherited from 100, 120 years ago. And you're like, okay, um, are we able to continue that that built um, legacy, if you will, uh, or, and are we able to keep that solidity of, of community like we inherited as well? So there's the people, and then there's the architecture and, and well, built experience. I, I, I hope we are. 
as Americans, I hope we are. I look back, for example, at the industrial effort made in not only Erie, but all across the United States during World War II. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, and I've said this many times, would we do that today? Would we be able to do that today? Wow. I remember my mother, who graduated from high school during World War II, said everybody was up for four years. It was just there was a, a drive to do well and to succeed. We, I think, as Americans have changed. I don't want to bring us down, but I think right. we have changed as a people. Um, and hopefully we never have another threat like that coming on the heels of the Great Depression. But I think so. I think Americans will, will continue to keep it rolling. It's going to change. It's going to evolve. Um, you know, it's not the good old days anymore. And if you right. have somebody who lived through the good old days, maybe they weren't. Um, I think there's a lot of nostalgia involved in that. But sure. um, I look at uh, at this mansion. I'm looking at a small part of it throughout the window here, and I, I think of the people who built this. And you mentioned off the air about the the ego fest of the of the of the rich in the Gilded Age, yeah. where you had to build this massive this massive monument to. You know, Harrison Watson, and then later to Frederick Felix Kurtz. That, and then you had to real have to have a really good dance, uh, a, a good uh, ball, well, right? You, you had got, to have a form of ball in the third have, story. Gotta have right? a ballroom. Yeah, <laughs> the ballroom. Gotta have a ballroom. <laughs> and you know, I see something new almost every day, especially when I started. I saw something new in the woodwork, something new yeah. in the plaster work, almost every day. And you think about the fact that they were building their summer home at the same time that they built this, which it's only seven miles away. It's mm -hmm. it's on the other side of the peninsula, which is why it's there, because of the fear of the ships coming into the bay bringing disease. And this is the pre-air conditioning age. So you have to keep in mind that in the summer, windows were open and disease can spread. You know, the Watsons lost a daughter, Gertrude, before they built this mansion uh, to scarlet oh, fever. Wow. And Winifred Watson, the daughter, had four children. Only one lived past four years old. So as I tell school groups, groups in general, having all the money in the world didn't mean anything mm -hmm. when there was no penicillin, no antibiotics, no hospitals as we know it. So I think that's what's really the interesting part is the people who did these things and what they did, not so much you know, the structure itself. Um, you know, what, what causes someone to want to go into the plastics industry? What causes someone? Harrison Watson made roofing paper for right. the most part. You know, it's not a very um, sexy thing, I suppose, but it's, it's something every, as I said to the group this week, it's something every building, every house has. Right. You have roofing paper and packing for steam engines. They even made fireproof curtains for theaters. Really? Because you think about in the gaslit age, you know, if you get a, a curtain on fire in a theater, that's, <laughs> that's, that's big trouble. And, and, and you think about that the, the smokestack of his plant took until 2022, 2022 to tear down. It, well into the 21st yeah. century to tear that down. just up there yesterday. It's incredible. It's, 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 it's a, to me, it's a loss. I, I love yeah. seeing that stack and said Watson Company on it. Mm -hmm. It was always a reminder. But um, – we had looked into, apparently, sort of our past director had looked into, similar to the homestead works outside of Pittsburgh, where there are a series of stacks standing. He sort of asked someone at the city, 
any chance we could just keep the stack and have a signage up there? And they said, there's bricks falling off of it on a regular yeah. basis. So, you know, it, it had it to go. Stupid. It was a, it was a danger to anybody that got near it. So when we talk about on the manufacturing side, again, so you were mentioning the families of the Watson Curtsy mansion, um, on the manufacturing side, again, there are incredible individuals, both uh, founders and CEOs, but also the workers. And so you think about, uh, you know, Mr. Zern and Mr. Lord and, mm -hmm. you know, the people that started Erie Steam Shovel that became mm -hmm. Osiris Erie. And right. then, of course, the workers, the exactly. UE506. I mean, like, mm -hmm. there's it's it's the people that made it happen, made Erie the exactly. the dynamo that it was. Exactly. And as I said to you again off air, if, think about when this mansion was built in 1891, 92. Mm. Their first full year is 1892. They move in in 1891. It's built with non-union labor. Harrison Watson's factories have no unions. He doesn't pay income tax because it doesn't come around until after he is dead. Mm. So there's a you know a million dollars was a million dollars. So it went a long way. The mansion uh, cost fifty thousand dollars to build in 1891. In today's money, that's about ten million dollars. So if you think about that, the, the you know multiply as I said by two hundred to get 1892 to today, it's it's mind-boggling what what kind of money that they had and did not have to pay any income tax on it. Well, and and to get to this point where you had such industrialists in the 1890s, in the Gilded Age, mm -hmm. from a pretty much of a dusty town, what, 1830s, 1840s? I mean, we're talking 50 years of a turnaround? Really, the post-Civil War era on through is- 30 uh, years. 30 years later, 40 years later. Um, you know, there's still, there's a heavy reliance on fishing and on shipping in and out of Erie up until the Civil War, and then mm -hmm. the industrial boom really starts. I mean, um, I was just telling someone the other day, they said, isn't the Industrial Revolution, isn't that later? And I said, well, the Industrial Revolution actually starts in the 1700s in England. Mm -hmm. And it, But our, we think of our Industrial Revolution as really as post-Civil War and the growth of, of heavy industry yeah. and steel and things like the railroads. Uh, and Erie is just a, is a part of that. Think about the central location of Erie, too. The geography plays a massive role in this. Absolutely. It's so centrally located, roughly by car today, two hours from you know Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and, and Buffalo, and you have the lake right here that can transport all of these goods, raw materials in, finished products out. In the days before highways, you have the lake, and you have then the, uh, in the 18th, 40s, 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s, the Erie Extension Canal, mm -hmm. which is not to be confused with the Erie Canal, please. Right. You know, runs from <laughs> Lake Erie to the Ohio River, northwest of Pittsburgh. So basically, you could go by water from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. And we go through this massive, you know, part of this, part of this growth before the true industrialization had to be a transportation and mm -hmm. growth. We had to be able to have the roads, the highways to be able to do that. And, you know, if you read about this continent, when the first settlers arrived, they talk about a squirrel being able to go from Maine to the Mississippi River and never touch the ground, simply by, by going on the tops of the trees because it was all woods. Wow. And then how do you get through that trackless wilderness? Well, canals, 
because there's no money in roads. Mm. <laughs> the only people that make money in roads are the people that you that sell the land to the government right. to do it. They're the only ones that make money in roads. Um, so the roads and then the canals and then railroads. Mm-hmm. And then Erie's, you know, industrial growth really takes off with the growth of, of railroads in the city and going north, south, east, and west out of here. Do you think um, that our success, especially during that era post-Civil War, was uh, intricately uh, connected to Carnegie and the and the rise of steel in Pittsburgh. Carnegie, the rise of steel, the discovery of oil in Titusville. Oil in Titusville, I think Drake. a lot of it, yeah. absolutely. Um, but the central location, you know, and sure. back to that, not to beat a dead horse, but mm. I have told, I tell groups, you, we look at a map there in the new exhibit building, and I say there is not one reason for the city of Erie to be here if it wasn't for Presque Isle. It creates a sheltered harbor. Yep. There's no rivers to flow into the lake here like Cleveland, Buffalo, Detroit have. Mm. There's nothing but a bluff and that bay. And mariners, some mariners will tell you it's one of the best harbors on the Great Lakes, let alone on Lake Erie, all of them. Yeah. So it's geography. It's location, location, location. It plays a major part in how this, how this area developed. I firmly believe that. We're chatting with Jeff Sheary. He is the uh, education director here. Pam Parker is with us, uh, and uh, we'll have more uh, conversations all the way till 6 o'clock. All right, Jeff, um, you know, so favorite part of the new of the new exhibit hall there, except the, the second floor. Well, there. I'm going to take credit for an idea that I came up with about a year ago, and that's those two ethnic rooms. They're not ethnic rooms, the two period rooms, yes. the 1890s and the 1950s. Um, I like that. My, yeah. my, I'm, I was racking my brain, how do we connect coming to Erie and Erie at work? And I thought that we, if we had a primitive, uh, poor family home, a, a rental property that this man who worked on the docks lived in with just that uh, cast iron stove and very few possessions, and it's a clapboard-sided house, but around the corner in gleaming 1950s gaudiness is his his grandson, perhaps, mm-hmm. who now lives in a, a Baldwin house somewhere. He works at Hammer Mill or he works at GE, yeah. and he has a refrigerator and a TV and a, you know all these appliances that Grandpa didn't have. And so coming to Erie, Erie at work, I have to say that's probably my favorite part. And I have heard people, I've heard visitors there point to things and say, my grandmother had that stove. Wow. My Look at the old TV. My great-grandmother, my, my parents had that television. That it, it, Unwittingly, they have taken ownership of the exhibit. Mm-hmm. It has, it's hopefully it's something that they want to come back and see. And I think that the artifacts and the story of the people together tell the story. It isn't just the cast iron stove. It's the story of that man. They cooked off that stove. Mm-hmm. They don't have running water. I, I like to talk about the servants in the mansion, the Watson Curtsy Mansion, right. too. We know from city directories and from census records, we know their names, and we know that they didn't have a very large staff. Either, of course, with a family of two or three, depending on whether it's the Watsons or the Curtsies, you don't need a big staff. We don't know how many people came. To, came to work during the day and left because they're not on the city directories or the census records. But 
they see that in America. Servants are different in America than they were in Europe. We're used to the Downton Abbey, Masterpiece Theater type of servant, yeah. where the butler has been with the family for a hundred years, you know, for his whole right, life, yeah, and his yeah. son will take over when he dies. And <laughs> that wasn't true in America. Mm. They saw this these jobs as a as a stepping stone, mm, mm-hmm. and it's a typical American story: upward mobility. I'm going to work here for this family for a couple of years until I meet somebody, get married, or like the one lady, I can open my own bakery, wow. I move on. I have the longest serving servant in the mansions was one of the gardeners and was here for 13 years. All the rest of them, the longest three, four, five years, and they moved really? on to something else. Yeah, and that's, that's that, that, that doesn't bode well for reliability of good cooks no, in the that, kitchen, that, you know? That, that's true across the country. <laughs> uh, we do have a letter. And it's been a long time since I read it, but in which Mr. Watson is traveling and he writes to Mrs. Watson, and I'm j- I'll just make up the name. If Bessie isn't up to your standards, get rid of her, you know, fire her. <laughs> I mean, so it wasn't all, you know, yeah. happiness here on Millionaire's Row. There was there may be some servant problems here and there, too. Whether she, and he, they don't say why. Sure. You know, whether she was not doing her job, whether she was snippy, what it, the deal was. It'd be just, just that she, they don't like yeah, how sure. she seasons the food. Yeah. I have to ask you, again, because you, you, you kind of are in charge of the docents. The, uh, you do a lot of education, a lot of tours with kids and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, what's are, are kids making the strong impact to Erie's past when they come to the Hagen History Center? I think it depends on their age. Okay. Uh, I honestly do. As I said, the group that I had here that were um, doing a summer project at Penn State Barron, they were. Uh, and they were digging they into were, like they the were, architecture, and, right? Well, what to, is, it, what is this, this house? Is what's called Richardsonian Romanesque. Yes. Richardson was an architect who put his own twist on Romanesque. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting curves and oh, yeah. peaks and stuff, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll let your next guest talk a little bit about Richardson. He we'll, really, we'll, he's we'll really got sure. into it. But um, Romanesque, I tell, we'll tell a group. But I'll come back to your to your question about our kids getting it. I think it depends on their age. I yeah, think younger kids. We, we, we've had a fair number of elementary groups here, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, you know, I try to have to make a little more basic tour for them, but they are still very impressed, you know, with, with the mansion and with, with this building as well, as well as the new one. But uh, I don't think many of the younger kids have heard of Frank Lloyd Wright. And you have right. to break down what is our architect do, mm-hmm. you know, for them. They don't get it. Now, the group uh, earlier this Have they week, heard of Perry? Most of them have heard of Perry because there's so many things in Erie named after him. Yeah. Um, another one I like to point out is, you know, Strong Vincent. And like, yeah. what, that, was he a strong baby? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was his mother's maiden name. And that was very common to do that. And, uh, oh, okay. And, you know, I try to stress how important he really was to the big picture of, of the Civil War. And he's, he's the typical citizen soldier. And it, sometimes I feel like I'm beating a dead horse talking about Vincent so much. But Vincent, he, and you know, even though Perry was not from here, he is definitely a name connected to this area. And I think that, you know, strong Vincent for years, for years when people went to Gettysburg, they didn't hear much about Vincent. And mm-hmm. that's changing now. Their, well, that's his, good. His role is changing now. Well, yeah, and don't get me started on Josh Chamberlain. Again, no, he was no. a he was a superhero, <clears throat> but he well, wouldn't have been without Strong Vincent. No, but 
Vincent put in there. Yes. And I'd like, you know, I've been having this discussion with some of the docents, not to get off on a, a tangent here, but Vincent put Chamberlain in there. But the Killer Angels, the novel, yeah. the Pulitzer Prize winning novel, mm -hmm. and the movie Gettysburg, which is based on the Killer Angels, yeah. they, they focus on Chamberlain. They focus on Chamberlain. So. We're live from the Wood Morrison House. It's part of the Hagen History Center. We're doing our tour of their brand new exhibit. Now, they have the exhibit building that opened a couple years ago. They just opened this month the second floor, and it's the story of us and the story of how we work. And Glenn Chichester is a docent um, uh, for the Hagen History Center, and he w uh, joins us here along with Pam Parker, uh, Glenn, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, pull right, pull that mic right towards you there. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. So, so Glenn, how'd you get involved with uh, being a docent here at the History Center? Yeah. Well, I retired uh, a few years ago, and uh, on the advice of uh, a retired individual, they told me to search for things that were had social implication, and also things that I would enjoy. So, uh, have you been a history buff your life? Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Like what? Yeah. What were you know? Uh, I like to read. Men of a certain age, you know, we gravitate to World War II. I don't know if that's the no. same for you. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was actually, I'm actually a uh, retired pharmacist, so I absolutely, absolutely love historical books about medicine. Sure. And just I couldn't read enough of those, and so. Uh, Did you read the John Barry book about the Great Influenza? No, but uh, you need to read that because he spends like the first third of the book talking about medicine and how it became to be a respectable. Now, now are, you are you talking the 1918? Uh, it, talking about the 1918 Spanish oh, flu. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of repetition on that. <laughs> yes. uh, you know the mask fighters. I mean, it was, oh, they yeah. were all fighting about masks. That was pretty amazing. It, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the, uh, but that's I've always enjoyed that. Um, and uh, so I also remember as a young boy, my, my parents lived near here somewhere. All okay. I remember is it being large in a dark house. Okay. <laughs> but uh, my mother would walk over, walk over to State Street. You could do a lot of shopping in there. And I remember we would routinely come into this mansion. So it always was started in my, my mind, you know, for sure. years. But uh, so when I retired, um, I was looking for something that, the docent allows you to not do something also fun, but also it's a social thing too in the sense that it has to do with Erie and it promotes Erie and our mm -hmm. history. So, yeah. and then you get to meet a lot of uh, people. It also has value to tourism. You meet a lot of people from out of town, especially with the uh, new Frank Lloyd Wright exhibit. Right. We're, we're bringing in a lot of people for that and then, it, then they go, oh, Wow, that big house. And they immediately <laughs> go over to the house, which I always, wow. I always find quite funny that they sure. come here for Frank and they end up with Richardson. You know? <laughs> but, uh, well, okay, so you brought it up. So we, you're, you're the expert on the, what is it, Richardson oh, Romanesque? Oh, Richardson. It, they call it Richardsonian Romanesque. Okay. Anyway, so where's the Romanesque part well, from? Well, what it was was, first of all, I, I described to people, you know, you have rich people and you're trying to sell them a product. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're, they're looking for high style. So he became somewhat, uh, Richard, Richardson became, you know, trendy. He had graduated from Harvard, 
Uh, and then, based out of New York, or no, no, he was actually born in Louisiana, huh. and then he uh, graduated from Harvard, and he eventually went to the what's it, the Ecole de Beaux Arts in Paris, where he learned some you know architectural tricks. Then he came back to the States, and then his one of his first and most famous things was the Trinity Episcopal Cathedral on uh, Copley Square. Mm. And if you've ever been to in it, Boston, yeah, it's okay. magnificent. Anyway, then he became trendy. He finally uh, okay. hit the big time. So then you get a guy uh, like Mr. You know Harrison Ford Watson, who decides I need to impress everyone. So he did a lot. Of, uh, Richardson did a lot of stuff in Buffalo. So that's okay. why you see a lot of things along West Sixth Street. You know, uh, the Women's Club. Uh, there's also some minor house minor houses on. Uh, like Eighth Street and that sort of thing. Okay, and that that he had designed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so he left his footprint. Yeah, yeah. Wow. The Romanesque design is sort of like you've take. He took Southern French architecture, Italian architecture, and Romanesque or Viennese Venice Venice architecture. Shook it up in a bag. <laughs> Boom! There you've got it. <laughs> and it's got arches and towers and yeah turrets. And, oh yeah, it's got one from every group. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, so that's what it is. So it's wow. a sense of trendy architecture for that time frame. Incredible. Ooh. I wonder if there's a contemporary, you know, super trendy house builder I, I've tried to in think the about 21st century. Now. You know, I only think of these Los Angeles white boxes. You know? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. all I'm thinking of right now. Yeah, okay. with the endless pools and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> what I think of architect now is like Robert Stern. Okay. Uh, New York. He he does beautiful things that are kind of modern yet traditional. So this is definitely a bent of yours. This architecture piece. Kind of. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, again, I'm trying yeah. to think of okay, yeah. well, what makes a person a docent? Yeah. Well, you got to be yeah. into the architecture. Yeah. Well, got to be into the history. Yeah. Well, and and liking people, like yeah. you said. You know? This building, the Itali the uh, Wood Morrison House, is Italiante. That was imaginary architecture. It was. Uh, a blend of Tuscan farmhouse and Italian palace, and basically it became popular mm. in Victorian England. Uh, Queen Victoria actually built this huge castle uh, based on this architecture. And this see, I, I don't know if I know it enough to yeah, see it. Like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't strike Italian villa to yeah, me. Yeah, but it is. It's based on the vertical windows. It's got the Belvedere on the roof. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all here, and that's exactly. And it was fashionable yeah. in New Orleans. You've got the French. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, Mr. Uh, Wood, Wood, Wood lived there. Yeah, uh, lived there. And okay, in in France. So right. he, no, in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Okay, so he gotcha. brought it here. Yeah. See, it looks like New Orleans. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. That's because New Orleans looks like uh, <laughs> England. <laughs> like England. Okay, got it. In, you know yeah. those those fashionable looks. Sure. You can see them in London. So anyway, so there's two really great jewels of architecture sitting here. You yeah. Know, just that alone, just the, uh, you know, there's it, a lot to It look strikes at. me, Pam, you need uh, jump in on this. It strikes me as we meet Glenn here that there's, there's a few, there's a handful of folks in Erie that have this super passion about history and architecture and, and these stories about people. And they and they gravitate to the center well, to donate their time. You there's know? more than a few. We have more than a hundred volunteers. Oh my! And um, when Becky was here, she talked a little bit about 
I think the group of 30, yeah, 30 uh, archivists, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, out in uh, the homes that we have, the Battles Estate, out in mm -hmm. Girard, uh, that, I mean, if you're out there, you would just be amazed at the number of people who just, <clears throat> there's a 86-year-old fellow, um, Dave Schaefer, he and his wife did the gardens for years, his wife just died. I think it was a year ago, but there are, I mean, and there's an entire family that are caretakers for the house and wow. the gardens. So Glenn is just one of the fabulous folks that we have who seriously will come down and, you know, and like I said, this is fun to people. It's, you know, yeah. the, the, the gardeners, that's fun. They can't imagine not being there and fixing up that house and the people who clean it. I mean, it, it's all volunteers. So well, that makes, that makes the organization sustainable. Oh, yeah. I mean... You, you couldn't staff it at the level, no. <laughs> you know, with paid staff, right? I mean, Glenn, I mean, it's got to be this, I mean, what you, what you contribute, to, I mean, especially with your knowledge and, and your passion, you're really contributing a lot to the user experience, to, to the visitor experience. Yeah, that was part of what I meant with social implications. Sure. It allows you to give back to the community, and I view it as, uh, you know, I was here the last uh, free Sunday, and uh, I had a couple come in from, uh, they were from Pittsburgh, and uh, they came here on the basis of the B&B &B they stayed at. They asked, it was raining, it was a terrible rainy day, and they said, what can we do that it's raining? And they sent them here. So we've added the community, and then they, they wanted to know where to eat supper. So, 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 we got to be that, that, you know, so that's what I meant. It, it, you know, it's a, it involves a whole community. Restaurateurs send free vouchers to our docents here. I had, this struck me on Sunday, I had a couple from Erie who had been to the new exhibit and they walked up to me and they said, our museum is looking so great. Mm -hmm. And it struck me, they said, our yeah. museum. They were taking wow. ownership of it. Love it. Which I, I really liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked that. Now, I have to tell you, the uh, yellow farmhouse at Battles, Italiante, mm -hmm. did you notice? <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> It's we're a, learning a lot it's, here it's, on the Joel Natale show. It's a very wooden version, but yeah. it, oh, it yeah. is the same. Wow. And yeah. Glenn has been out there to check out everything, too. Now, that's so. a time warp. Oh, yeah. I have mm. to tell you. Yeah. I was taken aback the first time I saw that. It is all walking back in time. Mm. It's an amazing thing to see. I, I just wasn't, I had never seen it before. And I was stunned. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing place. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to. I want to ask you guys about. Uh, there's a couple of uh, exhibits as part of the what we do, uh, part of the upstairs in the in the new exhibit hall. You have toys and you have retail, and what I didn't realize is beyond Mark's toys, which again, you know, everybody, every kid of a certain age, like 50 plus, remembers Mark's toys. But there were other. There were other like. Tin toy makers, and I had no idea again, but it makes sense because we made just about everything else in Erie, you know. Yeah, the uh, what's funny about the Marks toys, I obviously did not have one of these, but I can't tell you how many adult males now have told me about the Rock'em Sock'em oh, robot yeah. Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. they have up there, which just amazes me when I, I hear that. Uh, another thing, now you're talking about the, the toys that struck me was when I was a little 
very little. And my mom walked me over to State Street, uh, talking about immigration and that sort of thing. Chaconas, Greek, okay. Yes. They had a candy store. Mm. Anyway, uh, we would look at the all the figurines and stuff, and it was always a big deal at Christmas. And uh, it just that's like of, chocolate figurines. Yeah. That, oh, it was, it was, was it George? Could, uh, 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 it was Chaconas. Yeah. yeah. But it just yeah. struck me when I saw mm -hmm. that in the exhibit. Mm -hmm. It made me remember my mom and those walks, and wow. I had forgotten all about those. And that's that's what the exhibit did for me. Was um, I'm seeing my age, but uh, when I saw the 1950s kitchen, <laughs> and the, right? I, I could see the the cigarette. Ashtray on the. I can remember my dad's cigars, you know, and it really struck me. And uh, I asked a couple today who came through what they liked about the exhibit, and the first thing they said was that that kitchen and living area. Oh, I just wow. thought was pretty amazing. It is. Now I would um, beg to differ with with Mr. Sherry about the uh, initial area with the pot-bellied stove and everything. You, everything is from perspective. They were the immigrants were now inside a building. They had a stove, which was pretty modern then. Uh, they had an ironing board. They had an iron that worked. Um, they were protected from the elements. It's all in your perspective, mm -hmm. okay? Just like the servants at the uh, mansion. Yeah, they were servants, but they had central heat. They shared two rooms, shared a bathroom. Okay, they had electric lights. Uh, in 1892, that was living big. Okay. Well, I, they had indoor plumbing. They had five bathrooms. That house yeah. has five bathrooms. I I thought that I heard the outhouses didn't really totally get eliminated to the what the 1930s or yeah, something that, like that. That's true because uh, people at the turn of the century had they called it miasma, and there was miasma was a concept that okay horrible. Things blew through the air, and especially foul-smelling things. Yeah. So there was a genuine fear of putting a, a bathroom in your house because all those foul smells would stay in your house. So it had to be very innovative people who decided they were going to run the risk and put a bathroom in their house. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, in a snowstorm, I think I'd be willing to run the risk. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> you know? But, but wow. uh, yeah, there was that general fear. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's really, you're right, in the 20s. In the 20s in is the when 20s. finally people were over that fear. So you can see how Harrison Watson, yeah. wow, my bathroom. Yeah, that, that, that brings up a, a question about Erie's infrastructure. You know, again, I think there's exhibits around, you know, uh, what, you know whether it is, um, uh, you know, the Water Authority, they have some uh -huh. pictures and things like that. But it makes you wonder, like, how do you move contemporary mores, how do you move contemporary values to the point of saying, hey, we can trust the city to pipe the water in, and we can trust the city for uh, sanitary sewers and other infrastructure. Hey, we could trust the city for natural gas. I mean, they're gonna, I mean, there's a fire coming into your house. I mean, these are big societal change in 100 years ago. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I did read where Wood Morrison House had a well. Uh, I've often wondered about infrastructure uh, because the uh, Watson Curtsy House had was built with electricity. Wow! And anyway, so they had to have a source of power, and but it had to be very limited in the city, mm -hmm. you know, because they said people would walk down 
from the southern, like say, uh, say 9th Street or 8th Street, walk down to look at the lighted houses. Just because is that, this that was a, a, this is uh, something Rowe to see. Entertainment to see the light, electric light, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. Uh, and I can also see the fascination with the bathroom, you know. Mm. Uh, they went to Crystal Palace in London. I can't remember. It was during Victorian age. And one of the hottest things at the palace was the public bathroom they put in because flush toilets. I mean, people were wow. just fascinated with this new device, you know. So, you know, so this <laughs> Does this surprise you when you hear the stories that Erie was, you know, one of the first, like, like first, one of the first electric trolleys, one of the first uh, for electricity, for example, and other things that we kind of led, led the country in? Does that surprise you? No, because of our size. I think uh, we were like an ideal size for experimentation. Interesting. Like, like if you wanted to run a trolley out to Waldemere, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound impossible. You first of all, you're pushing it through a big city. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. No, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, no, and there were a lot of innovative people in Erie. That's why there was so much industry here, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of innovation. I think so, they had to convince Mr. Scott to let them lay the tracks over his property. You're right. They did. Right? They did, they? did yeah. Yeah, there was also a racetrack, too. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Scott, I think, he's, I think he owned everything. Yeah, you know? well, on the on the west side, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I know, that, that's pretty amazing. The, the but, Algerian uh, farm. Yeah, I, I think a lot about infrastructure. Um, now, even now, because of, you know, the drought and the water sources mm -hmm. and stuff, infrastructure means a lot to living a civilized life. Do you think some of those, um, some of those basic needs, Erie is still very much positioned. I mean, I mean, when you think about climate change, for example, I'm not sure uh, we're going to get that beat up by, I mean, I'm sure we'll get impacts, but not like they're going to have on the coastal areas, for that's, example. That's... Uh, the best thing I heard about that once was a guy who was talking about his, his grandmother down south. Yeah. She said, don't put a lot of money in that beach house because it's going to be gone. Okay. Right. And anyway, when you really think about it, we have built into areas that were almost inhabitable. You talk Florida, you talk um, Nevada. These are places without air conditioning and power and water. They didn't exist. So you've actually hit upon something eerie. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, these are all places that were protected from the sea. They had sources of water. Uh, we aren't getting an earthquake. So, yeah, you've hit upon something that... It, it makes you wonder about, um, if, if, as we look in the next 50 years, if, if this is going to be a place that says, you know what, they've got water, they've got mm -hmm. transportation, they've got, um, you know, they've got the electrical grid right. and so on. <clears throat> Maybe this... And if we could get this high-speed stuff going. Yeah. If you don't have water, you don't have anything. That's, a, that's an amazing point. Every time I come in, I learn something new, that's for sure. It's usually from a guest, but I have to say that the staff that work here are just uh, a wonderful group of people. They're so focused on what they're doing that you learn from the staff, but uh, also with the addition of the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright exhibit, we're getting a lot of out-of-town people. Yeah, it's and, really a draw, yeah, isn't really, it, Glenn? Well, it's a draw. It puts us on the Frank Lloyd Wright Trail. Mm -hmm. It also allows us to sell um, Frank Lloyd White uh, 
materials in the gift shop, which okay. have a tendency to be really nice gift items for, mm -hmm. I call them grown-up gifts, you know, <laughs> grown-up <laughs> gifts for, you can buy me anything, but anyway, but that sort of thing, but we get a lot of people from out of town, and that really has added a plus to the museum, because that's where I said they come to Franklin Wright and they go, mm -hmm. whoa, that big mansion yeah. over there, and they walk right out of the building and go to the mansion, they, they're seeing something totally different from what they expected, Sure. and uh, that, you know, that sort of thing, but... It's enjoyable, a wonderful group. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a good time. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You do have to talk, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got to kind of like people. If you don't like yeah. people, yeah. please, uh, you yeah. know. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you can focus on things, too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's obvious that I, I focus on architecture and things. But I try to focus eventually on people like H.H. Yeah. Richardson and right. Mr. Watson. He's hard to find things about. Mm -hmm. he, I think he was just a businessman and... I'm glad that they're making the, the, the turn to emphasizing the Curtsy family. I think that's going to be fascinating. Again, that guy did so many different things. Fritz, right? I mean, mm -hmm. good night. Yeah, yeah. Very, very um, prolific uh, entrepreneur. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so, so much. Well, this was, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, Beautiful. Uh, I'll look forward to it again. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you around. I think that's a promise. <laughs> that's awesome. Glenn uh, Chichester, uh, he's a docent here. Pam Parker is with us. She's the project manager, and we're glad to welcome to the program here Mark Squalia, the board president of the Erie County Historical Society Hagen History Center. Mark, welcome to the show. And step right up to that microphone like you're Mick Jagger there, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit of how you got involved with the Historical Society and the, the center here. So probably about five, six years ago, I was approached by – at that time, the board president, Randy Shapira, uh, who had been to a number of my lectures at the Jefferson Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, he knew my interest in history. And over a couple of dinners, he asked me if I would ever be interested. It took multiple ones. Multiple huh? ones, yeah. <laughs> and, and I made sure he bought. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is, was a challenge. Um, he asked me if I would be interested in serving on the Erie County Historical Society board. Uh, and when he explained what the board does, um, I always had an interest in history mm -hmm. and had not really read a lot about Erie history. My area of interest was always World War II. Okay. And which is what I lectured on primarily at the Jefferson Society. What, what, can I ask what, like, what are you like, what's really floats your boat about World War II? Like, oh, uh, the whole thing. Okay. No, it's not. Uh, allies, uh, Europe, the Europe, Pacific, yeah. the planning. Um, Ike. Eisenhower, uh, not so much Montgomery. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Lend-Lease. Interesting. Uh, mobilization, the industrialization, uh, the causes. Um, and it's it's changed over time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the home front, but we can talk about that off the okay. air. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I agreed, and, yeah, and sure. I was on the board, uh, and I had been on the board three years when George decided to retire at the mm. end of the last year, and the board came to me and asked me if I would consider stepping in as an interim mm -hmm. executive director while they searched for a permanent director. Where was the capital 
campaign at at that time? You know, as far as the planning goes, there, when you jumped capital, in. Well, the capital campaign had been done years ago, okay. back in 2015, when Pam was on the board. Right. And okay. that resulted in the the restoration of of the Watson Curtsy Mansion primarily, okay. and I believe the Carriage House. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Time. Making the Carriage yeah. House into the gift shop. Right. And, right. And the entry level. Okay. Cool. So. Um, so you were you didn't have to jump into that part of it. I didn't so have much. to raise any money. <laughs> <laughs> I just spent right, I there spent you go. quite a bit in six <laughs> you months. Spent, you spent a lot. Um, huh? So yeah, when I came in, first of all, I told the board, I said, You're kidding, right? Because I had just retired. Mm -hmm. And they said, No, we're serious. And I'm like, All right, but you gotta have somebody in place by the end of May. And they said, well, wow. it's going to take longer than that. And they said, why May? I said, that's when golf season starts in Erie. <laughs> and I'm going to start playing golf at the end right. of May. Right. Um, and then, you know, Cal came on board mid-June. Mm -hmm. So it kind of worked out. Um, that's, a, that's amazing. And, again, a lot has happened, you know, literally in the last 12 months to mm -hmm. this facility when you when you look at it from the thirty thousand foot view as the board president here, um, the fundamental uh, the fundamental connection of the historical society and the Hagen History Center to the community has that changed? I hope so. I mean, the importance of so. the organization and what it has to offer is just exponentially grown it has and I think the the goal was to have it change so that it's become a reflection somewhat of the community um, so if you dial back 24 months because within the last 15 we've rolled out two brand new major exhibits yeah that were done basically chronologically one right after another. Mm -hmm. So we had the grand reopening last July, which unveiled the Frank Lloyd Wright exhibit in the office. And then almost exactly a year later, we rolled out the, um, the new exhibit, The Story of Us, which was all about Erie. Yeah. But you go back 24, maybe even more, 30-some months, the planning for all that started back then with, right. with George and enlisting um, PRD group out of Chantilly, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And they did quite a bit of focus group research looking at what types of exhibits should the Erie County Historical Society portray. And one of the, and I, Pam mentioned earlier, diversity, mm -hmm. one of the major feedback items that they received from the groups and it, the groups that they went after the groups that they pulled in was a cross-section of the community right I mean we're blocks away from where New Jerusalem was you know years ago and much of the feedback was well you have nice exhibits but I don't see anything that looks like, like me. me yeah well and again uh, you know, the status quo for museums in 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 years gone by was uh, you know a lot of a lot of politicians and rich people, right? I mean, that's basically what we portrayed and what they did. Whereas here, it is it is a story of us. It is right. a story of these communities and these people that at uh, 
at all risk, made their way to this little port town in Pennsylvania to make to make a go of it and mm-hmm. and made an impact. Whether they were, uh, you know, a dock worker or a shop worker or a, an executive. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, what I was telling Pam uh, off air before we started is, if I could dream up uh, a museum. Uh, about Erie, of all the stuff that I like as a 60-year-old guy that grew up in Little Italy, this is it. It's like it it scratches where I itch, whether it's military, in the in, the industry, the populations and the and the ethnic groups, and uh, the infrastructure. I mean, like the cool stuff that we've done. I mean, it's really, it really is a well-designed, well-executed. Uh, situation. Well, if I would have designed, I would have had, I, w- I would have moved International Bakery down here. For a little bit, so. <laughs> you know, you can get them to make a shipment every every morning of, no, of cannoli, and, you know. And, you know, I think I think PRD get, did a fantastic job. And, and it was that data gathering piece that had to be huge. It was, it was. I mean, I was on the board at the time, so we, you know, we worked with them or we they came in they gave us a presentation they told us what they were going to be doing at the whole time they were you know counseled managed pushed by george right to go in certain directions um the frank lloyd wright office you know does has an eerie connection somewhat Mm -hmm. so you know that was the um that was the initial project and, and the initial piece but the story of us, the story of Erie, is just fascinating how they put it all together and yeah. utilized quite a bit of the collections and the archives that we have on premises here. What do you think, uh, what, what are you hearing as far as initial reactions? Because it now feels like, hey, we're fully orb right now. All, mm-hmm. all the built spaces are filled with exhibits. Um, uh, what, what are you hearing? So on, on the second floor, you know, a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. Um, people, you know, go in there, and I th- overheard you guys talk about Rock'em Sock'em Robots, right? Well, there's a little, yeah. you know, that's the toys are on display. We have a, a TV monitor that has a rolling um, WICU clip that's showing uh, TV shows from the 1950s. Um, We have a 1950s kitchen, and people come in and they look and they go, oh my God, I had, you know, my mother, my grandmother had that kitchen table in her kitchen. They had that stove or that refrigerator. Um, And then people, I think one of the things that, that really catches people is the photo murals that wrap the entire room and they come up the stairs and they look at pictures and they say, I knew that person, I knew that wow. person, I remember that person. Um, so it truly is, you know, the story of us. Or they look at some of the industrial exhibits, Harrimill, GE, Boston Store, right. um, Jarecki Manufacturing, Griswold, you know, it's, it's, it just grabs people. Do you think that the generations that are kind of younger than us I have missed a lot of this stuff. I mean, is this new information for some kids? I, Gen I think Z so. years? I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think it depends. You know, you talked about Little Italy. I, yeah. I didn't grow up in Little Italy, but I'm second generation Italian. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had large families back then, and 
I was captivated by listening to my grandparents tell stories about the old country and how they came here and, you know, all the, the trials and tribulations they went through during the Depression and moving around and not owning a home and moving every year from an apartment to right? a house, wow. you know, all around. So I, hopefully we're telling that story to the Gen Zers. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, you know, when you're talking about board governance, when you're talking about being a president of the board, that's, that's that far view of like saying, okay, you know, we, we, we have this built experience. Now, uh, now the hard work really kicks in of, of like uh, developing programming to engage uh, these different constituent groups. So I didn't do that, or I was involved in, in a project um, while I was the interim director. So one of the things that we realized, and Pam was instrumental in this, is because of COVID, a lot of the student visits from the area oh, schools sure. on campus basically went away. So we were looking at different ways to educate the students of, of Erie County, not just the public schools and the private schools, but all, even maybe the homeschoolers. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked about how do we get them on campus, and then we realized, well, maybe we need to pivot. So we did. We pivoted, and we're creating, with uh, working with Menagerie, we're creating two videos that focus on immigration to Erie. Oh, cool. And they're targeted at eight, nine, and 10-year-olds, they'll be about 10 to 12 minutes each. Um, but they will focus on all immigration. But the story of immigration that we've told historically and traditionally does not encompass the people that have emigrated to Erie from, say, the end of World War II to current. I mean, I'm not criticizing, but everybody knows the story of the Poles, the Germans, the Irish, the Italians that have immigrated to right. Erie and the neighborhoods they lived in mm -hmm. and what it was like to live in those neighborhoods and growing up. I mean, you know that story. I know that story. Pam knows that story. We need to also emphasize the, the, the later groups that have come to Erie from the 1950s. Sure. So that is also going to be part of that educational video. And our plan is to not only put it on our websites, but we're planning on distributing it to all the schools yeah. and making it, hopefully making it part of their curriculum. Well, you think about the immigration in more recent decades, and, and again, uh, we're, we're this magnet city with the International Institute and Multicultural, all the assets that we have for new Americans. And they're making their own way too with, with businesses and retail and communities exactly. and worship centers and so on. It's all, it's, you know, the Sikhs, uh, I mean, it's just all over the place. It's right. pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. One of the things I found, and I didn't realize this, I mean, I was aware of the International Institute, but in doing the research for that second floor project, um, Teresa Gamble showed me a scrapbook from the International Institute that dates to like 1920. Yeah. And the International Institute in Erie was already working with five different countries, I think, to mm -hmm. bring emigrees to, to, uh, to Erie.
I tell you, folks, uh, you know, again, you're both in leadership here at the center. Um, we talked at the, at the top of the hour how it's a fundamental change. It's really, uh, it, it, it's really an exponential investment here for the community. Talk about preferred futures. Um, like, if, if I'm an average Joe listening to talk radio today, how do I kind of get my arms around this thing? you got to come and visit. Okay, well, yeah, that's the first step, right? Um, I think a lot of people might not. In fact, last year when we asked, when we first reopened, we had people who would say, oh, I didn't even realize you were there. I mean, people still thought we were over on State Street, which was kind of unbelievable. But then again, not, because we did go through COVID. And well, the workers just unveiled your uh, logo know, again. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> I had and, never been in that building, which is so oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, we were there for a while. Yeah. And then um, it would have been 2015 when we opened the Watson Curtsy Mansion. Mm -hmm. But So people know us basically for the mansion, but they don't know a lot about the building that we're in, Wood Morrison. They don't know a lot about the carriage house and the new exhibit building that is behind there, which has Frank Lloyd Wright in it, and then on the second floor has the story of us, is not a really visible building. So it's right. not like you can ride down the street and go, oh, that must be where that new exhibit is. So you would have to come here and come through. And it, you know, it's four buildings. And um, I even had a friend of mine last year ask me for the Frank Lloyd exhibit, how did you get that car inside that mansion? And I said, well, what do you mean? How did we get the car? And he goes, well, because he still thought that was our only building. That was the building. And yeah. uh, it's, so it's kind of an educational process. And, you know, to us who've been working here, this is, we know these buildings, we could probably all walk through them blindfolded. But for people who don't know a lot about us and only think of us for the mansion because it is the most visible and has always been the most visible building, it's hard for people to imagine what's in this this particular house, the, the Wood Morrison house. What is a carriage house? What do you have in there? And I think once people walk through here, I mean, I, I think we figured it out. It's more than 40,000 square feet. So when you come through here, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a quick... Let's just run down to the Hagen History Center and, you know, walk around for 20 minutes. I mean, wow. it's a, you know, and of course you can do that, but you're you're not going to see the whole place in, you know, you could spend two hours here. You could spend an hour. Um, Jeff Sherry, one time, I think I had to have him do a really quick tour, and I said we were going for the record here, 20 to 30 <laughs> minutes, and by God, he did it, but we were running. Wow. <laughs> And, uh, and the same thing with kids. You know, when yeah. students come, it's there's going to be something that, that really – really hits them, and uh, they're, they're going to be really fond of that. Of course, everybody loves the mansion, but in uh, our new exhibit, The Story of Us, it's, uh, it's just, I, I said earlier, it's emotional. It's because mm -hmm. you walk through there and you're going to see something, somebody that you know or looks like somebody that you know or actually looks like you. And, right. and the, um, I am just, it's unfathomable that we have the 1950s kitchen in there and the refrigerator mm -hmm. and the stove and the linoleum. I mean, it's, yeah. and the TV going and WICU's on there because they were the very first TV channel here. Right. So it, and, you know, it, and it had the uh, schedule up and it would be test pattern. And is there anybody <laughs> who doesn't remember watching a test pattern waiting for cartoons to come on? Oh my. Well, it, 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 it's interesting that, you know, we don't shy away from some of the uglier parts of our history in all of this, right? I mean, we, we talk about how, um, gosh, uh, you know, famous, famous Erieites had slaves, 
you know. I mean, they were. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, I mean that is. We thought that we were immune to that that era. No, not so much. No, and I, I, you know, I think to me history is history. I mean, that that's yeah. what happened. But there are good stories that come out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bo Bladen. That would be, you know, Bladen Road, Bladen Farm, and um, his entire family, all of his. Uh, descendants took over that area so there are some really good stories and that was that's the other thing is there is such diversity there i i think when you look at for example the wood morrison house and the mansion you know there's not a lot of diversity here in either one of these buildings but in the story of us it is all diversity it's uh, all of the people who have come here and everything that they have done and and how they've created businesses, communities, churches, uh, social clubs. So it's, and you know, and that's continuing. And um, as we talked about the um, immigrants and the immigration, um, the Hispanics who came when, uh, I believe it was Plastec, when they closed, I think, a California plant and moved a lot of people here. My wow. kids went to school with entire families that moved here for jobs. I didn't know that. Wow consolidated to Erie. Well, how do the cogs move in in this place on a day-to-day basis, Mark? Well, after about three or four weeks, and Pam can attest to this because she was she was my sounding board. I told her I needed a couple of eyes and ears uh, in the organization. I thought I knew the operation yeah. being on the board. And like I said, after about three or four weeks, I did not know the organization. There are so many things that go on day to day, so many people that come in and out. I mean, you know, we have a curator, we have a director of library and archives, we have an operations lead, we have a museum educator, we have a gift shop that's running, we have programs and projects that are running that, you know, Pam drove. So I thought, well, this is a pretty smooth running operation, and it was, it's hectic. Yeah. I mean, and people are running full bore, full out, you know, 24-7. We have students that come on campus. We have speaker series that we're running. We're doing research for people that call up and say, hey, I want to look at my family history. I need the building plans for X building in Erie because all of the building plans for the city are stored in our archives because wow. City Hall didn't have space for them, so they sent them over here. Uh, or we have people calling up saying, I think you should do a program on Lafayette. Why don't you do some research on Lafayette and present a program? So it's just a multitude of different things that are going on. Plus, we have the project to put the new exhibit up on the second floor we're trying to drive traffic to the Frank Lloyd Wright office. We're working with Frank Lloyd Wright other sites and the foundation and the conservancy to, um, you know, develop a relationship with them. So I was just amazed at all the things that we had going on. With all these things going on, it takes money. And, and again, you, you, you've had an amazing benefactor for a lot of your capital expenses, but now you got to run the thing. I mean, right. it, it is a bigger organization, more people, more assets, you know, more pipes that can burst, more, uh, more stuff to do. Exactly. And, and it includes, you know, the Battles property out in Girard as oh, well. Yeah. It's not just, you know, the campus here. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Um, 
that was a conversation, you know, I remember having at the board level was, hey, this is very nice that we had this major benefactor give us all this money to develop these new exhibits and these new buildings. Okay, after we turn the lights on and open the doors, you know, how do we maintain them going forward? Yeah. So it is a challenge. So what's, what's uh, again, let's talk preferred future. Uh, do you feel like the 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 membership model is going to be a significant a part of i mean again you need kind of local eerie people to kind of be your foundation here as you open yourself up to visitors well i think part of that is going to be cal's cal piper's leadership yeah. what he wants to do in terms of membership um, of course we want members we want you all to be members mm -hmm. and we want visitation but I think there's also you know there are little things that we do to um, make sure that everybody's paid there are big things that we do to make sure that everybody's paid well so, this whole event planning thing and the weddings and the Oh, and, yeah. you know, yeah. and the private parties and meetings, that's a big deal, isn't well, it? I mean, yeah, and I mean, it's all, everything is related. So everything yeah. that we do that brings things in, and, and it's just amazing. I mean, some of the things that, uh, that that people come up with ideas, and there's never a shortage of ideas. There's uh, always always a little bit of a shortage of how are we going to get all this done, but we do. Right. Somehow it always happens. And um, when Mark came on board, that's I had been on the board, and that's I had said, and I think we agreed. You know, no matter what you think you know as a board member, until you actually walked in the shoes of the people who were here, mm -hmm. you have no idea. And um, I I. I came from a for-profit world, obviously, and work, walking into a nonprofit is you have a whole new appreciation for what people do for a place that they absolutely love because you would not work here if you didn't love it. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. The uh, So let's keep going with preferred future here. Again, having that foundation of Erie folks, um, do you see that, uh, that there'll be more and more investments in marketing uh, the center outside of the region here or individual constituencies like the like the um, Franco Lloyd Wright folks and I, I think that'll be part of it I don't think yeah. you know if you look at the uh, the funding pie mm -hmm. it's gonna it's gonna have a bunch of different slices to it it's never gonna be one or two predominant f funding sources mm -hmm. but I think we can do and I think I had a con uh, email conversation with Cal about this today. I think we can do a much better job reaching out to potentially former Erieites who are no longer in town and try to get them, at, you know, to become members, to utilize our website, to, to maintain that tie to Erie. I mean, I know all of my family members that have moved out of town tell me about things that are going on in Erie because they've subscribed to the Erie Daily Times digitally. Interesting. You know. Yeah. So they're telling me what's happening, and, you know, I'm kind of surprised at that. So I think there's that, there's that potential tie that we can pull those people back in by offering them a membership. But that's only one little slice. Um, preferred futures, I think we need to ramp up our programming. Um, you know, it's one thing like to come scheduled. In. Yeah, exactly. It's one thing to come in and view exhibits, mm -hmm. but I think we need to accompany that with programming, i.e., Frank Lloyd Wright, mm -hmm. or even more programming on the story of us on you know immigration. Well, I theory. saw you give that. Uh, what was it? The 1920s. You were doing like a hundred years back. Yeah, and. I mean, you had a packed house. I, I snuck in and got the last chair, and it was fascinating. 
you know. And, and that was just, I mean, I like I said, it was when, like when you I and your studied, buddies talking about history. Though, it wasn't, <laughs> but I said it's not the definitive account of your yeah. hundred years ago. I mean, I picked prep. I picked you know some of the things that I was familiar with and knew. And I got comments from other people like, well, you didn't include this organization, and you didn't include that organization. And I said, well, I kind of put a disclaimer at the beginning saying this isn't the definitive. But but uh, don't you love that there's that, that kind of fire over Erie's history yes, that yes. just just drives people to have that visceral connection with mm -hmm. the organization? Well, I, I think the other thing, and Pam's heard me say this many times, when we give tours here, we kind of give tours backwards, in my opinion. I think the first thing we should show people is the 10,000 square feet of the archive space that has all the collections, all the physical collections, and it's all eerie stuff. It's not from anywhere else. It's from families who either, you know, grandma passed away mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do with all the stuff, so they donated it, or there's some heirlooms that they donated. There's books, there's letters, there's business information in the, uh, in the 2D collection. All of that sourced the physical exhibits that you see on the second floor of the story of us, and all the text information is basically from all of our records as well. It, it, yeah, it makes it makes sense that hey, here's all of it, and then, and here's what we're, we we've curated for you. That's one percent yeah. of what it we is, have. Yeah. We can't show everything. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, just in yeah. regard to Frank Lloyd, right? We are marketing that pretty oh, yeah. much nationally. Yeah. We're doing a lot of digital stuff, and we've had an awful lot of people come once they see. I mean, it, it it's amazing when people come in and tell you where they're from and why they came and. Um, that's one of the big things that obviously our connection to Buffalo and Pittsburgh and all of the sites in and around Buffalo and Pittsburgh are, uh, we've been working with those folks. And I mean, I will say the Frank Lloyd Wright people are like family. Mm -hmm. And it's all about architecture and, and architecture is history and we've got plenty of architecture here. And a lot of the things about Frank Lloyd Wright that people sometimes forget is it wasn't just his modern work that he did like falling water. He had some pretty cool places, you know, bungalows and there's, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of architecture everywhere that he influenced. Um, furniture, I mean, just a lot of the things. And we have his office right here on this campus. So um, we do have a lot of people come here in the last month. We've, uh, you know, and, and people are, uh, you know, going to travel here no matter what. If they're Frank Lloyd Wright fans, it's their fans. Talk about historical tourism. Um, what I've noticed, at, you know, in recent, my recent travels, Kind of pretty much everywhere I've been in the last year or two, um, I've gone to the museum that's local. And so whether it, it, my son lives in Bloomington, Indiana, so they have a little uh, municipal county museum uh, that's in the, they built it into the old Carnegie Library at, at the place. And I found out that RCA had a huge TV plant in Bloomington. I mean, you know, the, and so you're learning things. You, I'm learning, I, I visited a little town like, Brownwood, Texas, which is, uh, you know, at a crossroads of of, uh, of uh, railroads, a big railroad museum, uh, Watertown, uh, New York, you know, in an old in an old uh, mansion like not nearly as nice as this one, but uh, again, there I think there's probably a clientele probably a little bit older, but they're gonna look mm -hmm. for that that 
historical experience. Yeah, what was big in this town? You know, there's there's a lot of uh, heritage tourism is big. It's been heritage getting bigger, and yeah. that's what they're calling it. And it's a, and so like, how do this how does the cross promotion work? Does the historical mu uh, and museum commission? Do they encourage stuff like that? Do they put some funding toward it? You know. Well, we work with Visit Erie. We work with a lot of other yeah. folks. So it's um, and there are some big groups that we're going to be working with okay. to to bring more people in. Obviously, and one of the things about heritage tourism is people spend more money, people who are involved in the arts, heritage tourism, than the average tourist who would come through. So, and they're going to be more interested in going to the things like the museums and things like that, um, playhouse, arts, other interests that would be something that, you know, a lot of people, they're, they're not just going to go see one, they're going to go see it. So there's a collaboration that we're going to be working on uh, with other local sites. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all need to, we're all looking for the same thing. So that kind of thing is going to, you're going to see more of that in the future too. Uh, well, for yeah, example, the lighthouses. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It just makes sense to me. If you're coming, coming home to Erie for a wedding and the wedding's at 4 o'clock, you got the whole morning to blow on a Saturday. Uh -huh. Spend an hour or two at at right. the museum, or, or better yet, if you're the wedding coordinator or the mother of the bride, put into the into the swag bag, you know, a brochure right. for right. the yeah. for the museum. Yeah. Or things to do while you're waiting for the for the big show. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like this is the key of where Erie has to be with it with this billion dollar industry is, is in the cross promotion. It is. If you're gonna, if you have time to do this, then go do that, right? And we we do have collaborations with a lot of the, you know, the B and Bs like Glenn had mentioned nice. earlier, and um, the hotels, and you know, it's a, it's part of it is when you take a look at where we were a year ago, where we hadn't even been open, and we didn't have, we didn't have a single person walking through here, and you look at where we are now, it's it's kind of a, you know, goal setting. Because it's nobody, I don't think anybody knew what to expect when everybody was closed and nobody, and this includes the Frank Lloyd Wright sites too, all over the country. Some yes. of them still close seasonally. Wow. So it's kind of a what can we expect, what can we set for a goal, what are we looking at? And um, one big thing that we had, I think our last free day, we had 160 people through here. And this is Erie, Pennsylvania in the summer, and uh, that those are big numbers. And, and Sure. Um, People are coming out to see things, and, and we're, of course, we're just going to keep firing them out and having more things for people to see. I tell you what, the addition of the second floor of the exhibit hall, the story of us, it, it really is something that every Erieite, true Erieite, should experience because it really does that story very, very well. I really want to thank you guys for being with me here. Uh, so excited to have Mark Squalia, the board president, Pam Parker, the project manager here at the Hagen History Center uh, and uh, Erie County Historical Society. Uh, if people want to find out more, find out more about membership, Erie History? ErieHistory.org. And um, you can get a membership for $40, and you, they go up from there, but uh, you can have you can bring guests with you. Uh, that's free admission anytime. Once, anytime you want to come through, you can come through three times a day. You can come times three <laughs> times a month, and you get some additional. Uh, you get to come to the Christmas party, which is a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. Mark really was the life of the party for the last one. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we have. Uh, were an you annual- really, Mark? I'm not sure. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an annual picnic, which is nice. You know, you just get together to you know share stories, and um, it's nice. I mean, it's just a a, a a lot of fun. Discount in the gift shop. As yes, well. discount yeah. in the gift shop. And, and then, of Lots course, of if you have an event, if you if you're wedding planning or want to have a rehearsal dinner, I mean. Those those slots fill up, but there's they still well, there's available. There's still some available, and um, yeah, we are uh, we're we're open to that to a lot of that. I mean, and uh, we do have a lot of weddings. We do have a lot of showers. Mm-hmm. Um, just even just the wedding, not the reception. Uh, my oh, daughter really? got married here. My daughter got married. In fact, she's I'm going to be seeing my daughter in about 15 minutes here, and yeah. uh, she did get married in the mansion. She had her reception at the Warner, but. A lot of things, you know, if, if you're not tied to a church or, yeah. you know, you want to do something really neat in, a, in an absolutely stunning building, and um, you can have your wedding outside. I mean, we, you know, we have so many offerings here, and uh, even this room. Well, I would say we're utilizing this building as right. well. Yeah, this is a, an educational space right. where, where teams could, could, could gather and, right. and get. I mean, there, there is a lot of energy that comes from this from this campus, a lot of creativity. We thank you guys so, so much. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>